Clay, what do you what do you think parasitic ice is? What do you think it does? The the villain in this has a line where he's like, at night, parasitic ice does exactly what you think it will do. Mm. <laughs> and I, I was left wondering exactly what anyone would think that parasitic ice would do. Um Besides crawl down your throat, which is the other thing he says about it. But it's a strange little ticking time bomb that this episode's ha- episode has where uh, ice is there and it's not it's not just regular regular ice. It's incredibly dangerous ice coming to get you. So what do you think it does? Yeah. Uh, I think if you if you if you lick it, you instantly shit your pants. Yeah. You probably get or it from a South American like South American country. <laughs> you come back after a vacation. And you ate some unwashed fruit or something. You have a little yeah. Bit of I, I went to the Bahamas. I went to the Bahamas once, and I just spent the whole time in the hotel room because I had a case of parasitic eyes. <laughs> Isn't those drinks aren't made fresh to order? It hits you hard. It's like it's like if you go to a. You ever watch Restaurant Impossible where yep. he's where he goes over and he like runs his hand along the inside liner of the ice thing and it just comes out black. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's, those, uh, that's what I imagine parasitic ice is. Yeah, never get the ice from the hotel ice machine. That's that's all I know. It's dangerous, deadly, and filthy inside there. We're going to be talking about Far From Home. We're going to take a break, play a clip from the episode, and then we'll come back and we'll break it down. We will acquire what we need to repair our translator as quickly as possible, and we will reveal as little of ourselves as possible in the process. They have an artificial atmosphere, Saul. These are not Kelpians who have never seen a starship. They have 930 years on us. Why hide from them? Assuming we arrived in the correct time, we carry with us a knowledge of certain past events that we cannot share, lest we impact the present or future of any society with which we interact. Whether or not the local population is more or less advanced is immaterial. We will adhere to their cultural standards. We will barter peacefully. We crash landed, and we're going in blind. Trust, they greet us peacefully. Low. We will not abandon what we believe. If this were my planet, I'd already have a surrounded weapons drawn. I am not asking you to participate, Commander. I am telling you what we will do in your absence. Far From Home is the second episode of the third season of Star Trek Discovery. Came out on CBS All Access on the 22nd of October, 2020. Written by Michelle Paradise, Jenny Lume, and Alex Kurtzman. Directed by Olatunde Osun Sanmi. In universe date is 3189. In this episode, after the USS Discovery crash lands on a strange planet, the crew finds themselves racing against time to repair their ship. Meanwhile, Saru and Tilly embark on a perilous first contact mission in hopes of finding Michael Burnham. We were right about the time jump thing, although... Mm -hmm. A year is a little strange that Burnham's only been there a year. Uh, I thought yeah. that was a weird amount of time to have passed where it's neither it's neither a lot nor a little, really. It's like right in the middle right. of being average amount of time that you would wait for something. It's a long time based on the length of her hair. It is, yeah. Unless unless that's some kind of weave thing. Unless she's, you know, unless she's augmenting her hair. But I, I don't understand why her hair is that long if it's only been... And her reaction, she goes... I've been looking for so long. I was like, oh, man, it's been like 10 years. And she's like, it's been 74 days. <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah. not, not that like long eight, of a time. Eight, eight months I've been searching. <laughs> the other two months, I, I, I wasn't really looking. To I, looked for a house I, just, was a- I looked for a house longer than Michael Burnham looked for a discovery. It's like, this is not, not yes. an incredible amount yeah, of time. Yeah, uh, a strange number to choose. It doesn't, it doesn't really seem like it uh, 
it could have been longer. I think I don't think anything would have would have changed or uh, or it would have been any worse if it was longer. Um, I do applaud them this new method that I I hope they follow up of of naming their episodes after more popular franchises mm-hmm. uh, installments in more popular franchises. I look forward to episode four, Winter Soldier, and episode five, Infinity War. <laughs> They're coming. This is. They, they, in other naming news, um, they continue their naming uh, tendencies here, where Saru says, what's the name of this planet? He goes, this planet doesn't have a name. We call it the colony. And you're like, good. Yeah, good uh, for you. God. <laughs> good for oh, you. I rolled my eyes pretty hard there. I actually, um, I did like this episode, so I'm not going to mm. be completely negative about it or anything, but I will get into that, but it's fun to, to gripe early on. I think this season is going to be a litmus test for me about who is the worst character on this show. Is it Jet Reno or is it Georgiou? Those are the two that are in the running. With uh, Oh, it's Georgiou by far. I, I actually kind of enjoyed Jet Reno in this. I, I, Georgiou just... I, the, I, I love the, the idea of that character, but I just don't think it's executed well at all. That, that would be my reason why I would say I actually prefer Georgiou because Georgiou kind of conceptually makes sense to me now. Like this mm-hmm. episode brought her into focus in a way that I think was necessary. She's still terribly portrayed and terribly acted and terribly written as a character on this show, but I think I understand what they were trying to do. And um, I, Jet Reno only seems like Tig Notaro just shows up in a Star Trek episode every once in a while. Correct. It's, it's, it's really... Yes. It's really distracting. I find her extremely distracting. My third place person would be I don't I can I haven't seen enough of her, but I think security guard Nan or whatever that the woman with the, the shit on her mouth who talks to George oh, Allen. Sure. She's sure. in she's in contention for worst character on the series too, I think, because I, I don't like her any of her uh stuff. Um but that's we'll talk more about George Allen so you can get Jet Reno out of the way. Jet Reno's just I much prefer the stuff that happens in the bar in this episode than the stuff that happens mm-hmm. on the ship and Jet Reno, Tignataro on the Discovery. I don't really understand the conception of the character because she's this sort of wise-ass, uh, extremely dry, sarcastic person who I feel makes a little bit more sense in like what Star Trek, how it used to portray people where like no one would really stand up to her. But on Discovery, I don't understand why no one just says, shut the fuck up. Tignataro, like I'm, do- I'm doing stuff over here. She's she's condescending to everybody, and no one responds to it. Everyone just is like, "Well, that's that's Tignataro talking to me." Um, and I find it really to be fair annoying. Every everybody else is kind of condescending to everybody else on the show. The ship well, too. Right, but that that's the like I could understand in, if it was a an older style of Star Trek character interactions where there was one abrasive character that everyone kind of like took the high road against, and you'd be like, "That's that's fine," mm-hmm. but here. I don't feel they throw it back at her effectively. Like they have minor skirmishes mm. about this stuff, but she's—I find her extremely annoying. If she, if I, if I was Stamets working with her, I'd just be like, "Shut that goddamn camera off, idiot!" Like I'm I'm gonna go handle what's going on here. I, I find her really not a character of this series. I just look at that character and I go, "There's a comedian playing a character on a on a show, and it, it's really um, bracing and distracting when she comes on screen." I actually, I, I don't really mind her. I, I think she's good for uh, uh, a couple chuckles mm-hmm. uh, across the episode. And uh, like I said, I think everybody is kind of vying for most condescending. It's like everybody has to be snark machine on this show or like everybody has to be sarcasm machine uh, when they talk to everybody else, at least on the ship anyway. Um, 
because George Yao does it, Stamets does it, the doctor does it. The doctor at least is like he's coming from it from a point of of more um There's a personal relationship well, there. Yeah, and there's also more well reasoned sarcasm from him where he's like, You're gonna fucking die, man. Yeah. <laughs> you seem to chill out. Um but yeah, I I don't know. She she doesn't really she doesn't really bother me that much. I didn't has she always had a back problem or is that just because no, she it's hurt her back crash. in the crash? Yeah, when the, okay. the crash. Yeah. Yeah. Um Yeah. I, but I, just, I, hate, Al, I hate lines like this ship's going out faster than my back. It's like what the fuck? What's a terrible <laughs> line? Like who wrote that and was sure. like confident enough yeah, to whatever. include that in a script? It's so it's so I, yeah, they're they they don't they're not all home runs. Uh <laughs> I, I get I give her a pass for the when she throws out the nickname and she says ah don't listen to me I'm on drugs yeah I yep. like that one um, but George Ao for me is like conceptually yes it's a character that I I a character archetype that I really like um, where you have the one character amongst your group of good guys who is you're never totally sure where they're gonna fall um, but I don't think the execution is is very good uh you for, for first and foremost because i think they they went a little over the top with the character they chose to do this because you have a literal um uh, genocidal former emperor in this position who uh it might be a little bit much to um when it comes to that thing versus just like, you know, one of the bad guys who decided to join the good guys team. Mm -hmm. And also, um, yeah, I don't love the performance. It's not, uh, I don't find it very convincing. I, cause um, they, cause they give her, they give her the same type of like condescending snarky dialogue, but I don't think that she, she does it very well. Uh, whether it's because or I don't want to say it's because of her accent is too thick or whatever, but I'll, it's I'll just say like, it. I, I find her I find her accent <laughs> distracting. I find her accent distracting. Yeah, it, it's like I just it's, don't. It's not. It's not strong enough to. It just it comes across as it it weakens her acting performance when it's mm. clearly that she doesn't have full grasp of the language and is sort of like having to work double time in her head to make it to a speak in English and act this way and. It just, and if you're pairing someone who doesn't really have a strong grasp of language with a performance that kind of needs the nuance of language to not make that character be yeah. annoying, it's a really hard pair to sell that together. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a little surprised they didn't try to write that character more to her strengths, um, because I think I think she's a very uh, imposing and intimidating presence. But if you have her, tr if you have her trying to trade barbs at the same speed as like Tilly and 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 uh, uh, Jet Reno and stuff, I just don't. It does. It doesn't come across. No. I think she would be much more effective if if they kind of uh, um, strong let her type. actions. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I don't, again, the the accent does make it difficult. But uh, I don't want to write her off because of that, obviously. But um, yeah, it's it's a it's not a great characterization for her specifically it's she because like why why does she have to be like i don't know whatever i don't need, I don't need to get into that george Al is what I, what i what i liked about this episode and what it has to do with george Al in some ways is that um i'm starting to see course corrections and what they're choosing to do i thought this episode was mm -hmm. a big one for course corrections some of them are very strange like uh 
Looking back on it in hindsight, Saru losing his fear tendrils and becoming a new character is really a retcon to they're like, we need a stronger character going going forward yeah. that Saru is yeah. not doing it. So we just need to erase what this character was and give him a whole new personality because we need someone who can fit this position because Pike's not going to yeah. be around next year. Um, so Saru's new personality seems it was completely fixed in one decision mm-hmm. that they made last season. And he's brought in now as the sort of counterbalance to everything. Georgiou, for her existence, the entire second season had no reason to exist. And she now does have a right. reason to exist, which is to for the you know, to show different opportunities for what Discovery's crew might be up against. She's she's to give a, a counterpoint to what the Federation values are. And it's maybe not mm-hmm. effective because she's so over the top and hammy all the time. But that is her... This episode rides on the idea of Saru tries to do the right thing Federation-wise, but it's only Georgiou coming in and killing everybody that accomplishes the thing that they need to do and saves the day. So there's this little bit of a a, um, a nice balance that wasn't there at all in Burnham's episode where Burnham is just mm-hmm. praising the positives of the Federation and there's no counter to that whatsoever. Here you see the counter and you see how ineffective Saru is, how ineffective Saru is probably going to be in the face of this guy who's going to kill them. And Georgiou has to do the thing, the section 31 type thing, which is the wrong thing to do, but it ends up with the right result for everybody. Um, yeah. Yeah. And she didn't have that the entire yeah. second season. Right. Yeah. Cause they were just, you know, trying to figure out how to, wedge her back into the, the show um i i do think the change for saru ultimately was the was for the better because he uh well first of all saru's great and he is probably moving up the list of of like my favorite star trek captains based off this one episode because mm-hmm. i thought every i thought everything they had him do here was was great like the uh i thought all the stuff with tilly was really good where where like the the sequence of him having choosing Tilly to go with him and then that conversation they have about why he chose her and all that kind of stuff I was like man that's that's just like textbook good star trek captain dialogue you yeah. know yeah um and yeah the, using using him in that position I hope he doesn't get pushed to the background once they reveal whatever the big brouhaha is going to be for the season um <clears throat> because I really liked watching this episode and seeing the Star Trek crew act like a Star Trek crew in a way that I feel like it it hasn't done so much up to this point. Yeah. Um, because everybody had something to do and everybody was kind of there were there was an A story and a B story, more or less. Um, even though they were both they were all working to the same goal. And it just it you know, it felt like a Star Trek episode to me. Yeah. It did. It's um it's probably one of the better executed episodes that the show has ever done, mm. I think. I think that they accomplish what they want to do in this. I think that it really minimizes the problems that I have with Discovery, which is that I, this is maybe the first episode of the entire series where I feel like the theme is actually augmented by the actions that people do in this. Like There's, yeah. there's like a connection between what goes on and what they th- what they say that the episode is about at the end where the characters talk mm-hmm. about it. Um, and to me, that's the, how are they going to resurrect the Federation when it's in such a position that it does not have the upper hand in any way? Like right. it, they're in a situation where Federation values are not really 
um, important or powerful in this in this era. So there's not much you can do by just sort of um, reading the good book and quoting it at people like you're some sort of street corner right, preacher. Right. It requires actually drastic actions, and that's what George Howe is supposed to represent. Um, and maybe Saru will learn a little bit of that. I'm I don't mind the reset. It leaves me wondering. Now Saru kind of just feels like a template Star Trek character in some ways because he doesn't really have the the backstory that was his characterization previously. So he feels sure. like he's just kind of an empty suit who talks like a Star Trek captain. Um, and I don't know how they're going to yeah. fix that, really. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think you could argue that he's had enough. He's He's done enough over the two seasons to kind of work his way into this position. It's not like they just pulled him out of the air like they did with Captain Pike, you know? Mm-hmm. Because, Captain, you could say the same thing about Pike because Pike just showed up and started talking like a boilerplate Star Trek captain. Everybody lost their minds. But I, I think that's so what Pike's role is, in, in, especially in the second season. I think that sure, his sure. role is to be just that kind of blank template that you understand what he is and how he's going to act that way. Saru was built upon this sort of nervousness his entire – like everything – he mm. was he was incredibly talented but was – not sure of himself and now it feels really drastic that they've just switched him and he's now incredibly sure of himself and incredibly sure of everything and that comes down to the weirdness of how they flipped the character that way but i don't know like if if i was a member of if i was tilly Mm -hmm. in this episode and saru started talking to me like this in my head i would be looking at him going you didn't talk like this two weeks ago like yeah like i don't i don't really believe that you buy all this stuff because you're totally hey everybody Everybody hit their heads when they went through the wormhole, so it's fine. Temporal mechanics. You know, it's it's funny, though, because I'm curious to see how he's going to fit in moving forward because based on this episode, his character change almost feels like it takes the place of Burnham to an extent. Yeah. Where like if you were if if uh you know if 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 it had come out that Sneakwa Market Martin Green's uh contract was up in between seasons 2 and 3 and they didn't know if she was going to come back. I would say uh, I think they probably could have shifted it over to Saru and not been the any worse. Yeah. Cuz I think he fills that at least in this episode kind of fills that role of the uh Starfleet um uh the the, the Starfleet officer in a much more um what's what's the word i'm looking for i i don't not appropriate but uh he he holds the same beliefs that uh burnham does but he seems like they they're they're having him uh act on them a little bit more um subtly and in line with those beliefs than they do with burnham who burnham is just kind of like always burnham there to shoot it. stuff Bur- yeah, burnham, burnham says, says it. the things and and saru acts yeah on them. Yeah, Burnham says the things and then has no problem killing fifteen people. Right. Yeah, in the, you know, <laughs> and which which is why I feel like it 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 rings so hollow with Burnham is because I don't think that um, consistency is there. But I based on the way that they wrote Saru in this episode, he's very consistent. He he doesn't he doesn't talk Starfleet talk and then end up drawing first on everybody and sh- killing him or something. You know, right. he he. he He's he's going. He wants to go the paperwork route to to work this out. Um, and yeah, I just I just think they uh, they did a good job of of uh, kind of resetting those characters uh, to a certain extent. 
What I was wondering if they're going to do, and I don't think they're going to do, but I could see a way that they do this. I could see you can turn Burnham into a villain of this series uh, at this point. The way that she... Sure. The way that she comes in is interesting. It, um, <clears throat> I'm focused on the, the sort of faith aspect of this. And Burnham at the end of this comes in looking exactly like how um, born-agains look when they ask you how your day is going. Uh, whereas she's like, how's everyone? And they're like, good. She's like, that's great. That's great. Just, <laughs> just this, weird, this weird smile. It's a very born-again trait. And um, she comes in with the new faith, and I don't know what that's going to look like, but I could see there being some sort of um, sinisterness behind her in some way, where there's some, mm-hmm. something has happened over the course of this year that the newly minted Saru is going to disagree with about this is the best way to go forward. And I don't think they're going to do that. I think that she is the one in the key and the alpha and the omega, and I think it's all going to come from Burnham. But I saw that as being potential, and I wouldn't have thought it to be a, a terrible idea at this point because based on how the rest of the crew is developing into something that could stand on its own without Burnham, I think, at this point because Saru has usurped her in a lot of ways. Mm. Well, you know, I think you could... I think you could play it like um, Burnham has a certain approach that she may or may not be doing the right thing or she might be going over the top and being a little bit more sinister. And then you have Saru on the one hand as the angel on her shoulder and George Yao on the other hand as the devil um, when it comes to whether or not the Federation should be rebuilt and in what way should it be rebuilt and what are the methods they should go about doing it. Um, that could be kind of interesting if, if they go that route. I don't think they're going to. I'm sure it's going to turn into some sort of... Uh, intergalactic threat is going to undo time or something. Yep. I don't know. The, the, the idea, yeah, what you were saying is too um, complicated an idea. There's not a lot of time to do something really complicated yeah. like that. There's a, there's a time to uncover the mystery of who blew up the dilithium and then kick the shit out of them and then go, go at the end right. of the season. Yeah. So I, I think we're just going to sort of go well, down what, that route. What if, what if it's um, what if it's uh, they they're trying to rebuild the federation but in doing so they learn about what the federation had become and the only way to uh they find out that the only way to ensure that uh people live productively is for burnham to go back in time and make sure that the dilithium blows right, up right. <laughs> yeah you're you're fated to do what you're fated to do i i think and we'll see about it not a very little Burnham in this episode. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, so I wanted to talk about that because I liked this episode overall. Um, I kind of rolled my eyes and I felt uh, Rick Berman knocking at the door when they got to the the Western bar. Yeah. Um, the scoring I, in this I, I series saw... is insane. The scoring is so on the nose with everything. It's it's really crazy mm-hmm. when when they might as well just play that. Yeah, <laughs> like it's it's basically that song when he walks in. He's yeah. he's wearing spurs too. Like there's um, yeah. they, you know, it's not like they they chose a subtle blinking you'll miss it trope, and they're like, we need to amplify this a little bit. I don't think anyone's going to understand what we're doing. They're like they chose 
we just complained about an episode that was kind of fucked out because it was like this, like Marauders is basically the seven, like uh, yes. seven and stuff. And this is kind yeah. of a similar idea. It all takes place in one bar, but right. Yeah. I don't agree with that. I saw some other people uh, saying, you know, writing it off as being just the same trope as Marauders. And I, I don't think that's the case at all because Marauders was, very boilerplate they just took the screenplay from magnificent seven and changed the names to archer and trip and to paul yeah this they're not there to help anybody and ultimately they're not going to help anybody like that wasn't that's not the plan their plan is not to at no point is saru like uh you know we'll we'll try and stop this guy from taking all your shit he's yeah. like saru's like you know if you help us maybe we can you know do a couple things and 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 see what we can do but we're not here to to save you from anything yep. and then when the guy shows up it's like the only it's not like the the end game is that they're they're trying to break this link it's just george ash shows up and kills everybody yes so it's not their their goal the goal of the episode is is not to redo this magnificent seven or or western type trope it's their their goals are very specifically still linked to the ship it's just they hit a snag in the form of this uh pirate or whatever um and even at the end, it's like they – I guess the closest thing they do to that sort of Western thing is when Saru kind of gives the gun to the, the bartender and says, well, no, this is up to you. They, they liberate there, the it's like they don't they, – They liberate this Yeah, settlement. but they don't come – they're not there to do that though. No, <laughs> but I, I think they do, they do it sort of indirectly. I, I don't actually think it's that drastic of a change. It's instead of Saru saying, we, we ride or die with these motherfuckers, it's just – we ride or die with them because if we don't ride with them, we die. So the, the, he doesn't have the option to leave that you would in the other stories, which is that it's your choice to just kind of fuck off and um, not help these people. But he is stuck in the position where, even indirectly, him helping himself helps the other people. So it's it's right. not as um, noble. I think the, the, the nobility aspect is taken over more by Saru talking about it than it is the choice of his actions to help these people it's more like a an indirect yeah. result of it uh spreads the values that he wants as opposed to a decision at the start of it that it's the right thing to do yeah i but i the thing that i that i pulled out when i saw people make that i saw people making that comparison before i watched it so when they got to the bar i was expecting something more uh stock and I don't. I think they avoid doing that. Where they they use the trope fairly well. I thought, mm-hmm. um, because it it wasn't really lazy, and it wasn't just for the sake of doing it, and it wasn't it wasn't for the sake of getting to that point at the end where Saru gives like a impassioned speech about what Starfleet means in terms of helping people who need help or some shit. Yep. They use it as a. Uh, device to get that conversation between Saru and George Ao, which is the important thing. It doesn't matter. Like grandstanding about about what they've just done doesn't matter. Yeah. Excuse me. Yeah. The the. Yes, I um, I think that it the the reason it kind of works better than the reason I think it works better than something like Marauders is that the actions of this episode are actually built out of what we understand about the universe at this point. So it's not just a random um, criminal who's marauding a town or anything like that. It's not just this sort of random sect of Klingons. A a criminal who went to the uh, William Riker school of phasering somebody to death. (laughs) Where he just keeps 
blasting him, blasting him, blasting him, blasting him, blasting him, blasting him. Eventually he dies. <laughs> the, the phases have turned into something else, or if, if those are even phases at this point. They become much more like torture uh, devices than anything, or than uh, like a, st- a violent stopper or a violent suppression or anything. They, uh, they, yeah, they seem they seem not to be like guns because George out seems to treat it as though it's like an S&M experience. Yes, yeah. It's it's it just yeah, seems so more like tasers or something. Yeah, more like a, a taser that can kill you or uh, something yeah. like that. Is that whole crew I th- or that whole storyline I think just is built out of the understanding of what this universe is where the couriers are sort of taking advantage of things. You're learning a little bit more about how the disappearance of the Federation has allowed ruffians like this guy to sort of come in and take a claim on things. And he's the only one who can deliver Mm -hmm. stuff to these colonists so that they, they need him. But at the same time, he takes advantage of them and things like that. In the Federation, there's no cops on the streets to take handle this sort of uh, nonsense that's brewing up. So it does build into it and it feels appropriate that you would do all this stuff. Um, I really like the villain as a performance outside of the over-the-top yeah, spurs and yeah. the music. I, I really like his... He's great at being the kind of villain that you really like to hate. Like, he's really a hateable character. And uh, mm. it's a good performance, I think. I like him. He, they kind of... They undo a decent amount by by just sort of kicking him out at the end. I don't know how much it affects me, but he's he's really a different character when he leaves. And I don't... I don't... I understand why they did that, but at the same time... they kind of let him walk away which was a strange decision mm. i'm not going to take this guy to discovery or anything but i did yeah, like well the i think the yeah i think the implication is he's going to die in the cold yes so, the parasite the, ice. all the parasitic ice yep. yeah that guy I, I he he's he gives a good performance that actor every time i see him for the first 30 seconds i think it's tim roth mm-hmm. but it's not he looks a lot <laughs> like tim roth i don't recognize um, him he's been in a couple shows i guess people were mentioning the shows yeah he's been in. he i know him from i believe he's the the male lead if there is a male lead in Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead, I think. Oh, okay. Um, so I, right around that time, he popped up in like two. I think he's in Black Hawk Down. That was where I first saw him because I thought it was Tim Roth, but it's, gotcha. it's not. Because um, I don't know if I mentioned, but he looks a lot like Tim Roth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I thought he was good. Um, I he He elevated what could have been a pretty lame character into a into a solid watch i think um but just to to jump back to 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 the burnham thing for a second uh my problem with the episode is did you feel like the burnham showing up at the end ultimately kind of made the episode pointless because i i kind of i wish that they had not gotten back together so quickly mm-hmm. because it seemed like they were, you know, the, you kind of focus on the, the crew of the discovery. They're doing this thing. They're trying to get back up. They're trying to get back on, on out in the, out the space or whatever. And just having Burnham show up at the end kind of, I don't know, it kind of like set it back to one for me where it's like, well, why even bother doing this if you're just going to have them put them back together so quickly? I don't know. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I, um, I maybe only mostly strongly feel that in that she ultimately pulls them out of the ice. So that like mm-hmm. the whole thing feels, uh, the whole journey feels superfluous to that point because she's yeah. just going to pull them yeah. out. But I wouldn't have minded if, honestly, if they got out under their own power and then the very beginning of the next episode they meet Burnham. I, I don't, I don't feel it's a, yes. a distance of yeah. time, but I feel it's a distance of like Burnham coming to save the day felt a little gratuitous. gratuitous. Yeah, I think I think that's what it is for me because it's like they you go through this great episode of the crew being self-sufficient and doing all this stuff 
to solve their problem. And then ultimately they're just saved at the end by Burnham. Uh, I don't know. It kind of undid, it kind of undid the goodwill of the episode for me a little bit. Yeah. I, I didn't mind. I I was, uh, I, I can kind of agree with that. And I think it's the more I think about it, the more I probably agree. And I think that it's a strange choice, but it feels very, it's very much a discovery thing. Like the, mm. I, I recognize stuff now where when they get caught in the tractor beam at the end, the helmsman or whatever that guy is, uh, the tactical officer, I think says, uh, he's like, it's an enemy starship above us. And I go, Discovery does stuff like that to make you think that something is happening. Right. That guy has no reason to be like, there's a definite enemy above me, like attacking me with a tractor oh, beam. My, my favorite bit of that stuff, because I wrote it down, because I hopefully you can make sense of this for me, is when they have in their ready room conversation they have with Saru and Tilly, I think it's Tilly, and... Um, Georgiou and Nan. Georgiou. They have the conversation about going to this town and... Uh, what they can and can't say and they try to pull like a back to the future two type argument but since they are from the past in the future it doesn't make any sense to me but he says more or less we hold with us knowledge of past events that we cannot share lest we impact the present or future of anyone we come into contact with yeah what the fuck does that mean <laughs> he can't he can't because they wiped discovery from the memory banks they can't tell future people about discovery is what i take that to mean and maybe control maybe control would be a part of okay that. i guess okay sure but it's just it's a really convoluted way to word that i i think it's i think it's just supposed to show that saru is sticking to his prime directive starfleet guns like every, sure. i find okay. everyone else's argument fairly convincing they're like they're a fucking thousand years ahead of us what are we going to tell them that that they won't know anything about we know nothing uh i kind of buy that argument more but i i think it's just to highlight saru is like no matter what the situation we stick to starfleet federation mm-hmm. ideals and we do the thing that we're supposed to do even if it's kind of nonsensical at this point yeah it's for me <laughs> it was one of those things where it's like if you jumped 50 years into the future Maybe I would buy that more, but you're a thousand yeah. years into the future. I I don't know how much it's gonna unless you're unless it's the equivalent of of uh, having with you the knowledge that you know William Shakespeare didn't write Shakespeare or something. Yeah. You know, one of those lost to time conspiracy theory things. I don't really know if it if it uh, if it makes that much of a difference. But I, I get what you're saying. But the wording it just reminded me of. Um, the ghost of Christmas future or whatever from Aqua Teen Hunger Force yeah. where he says now n- now in the future the past has occurred. Yeah, right. like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, I the thing that actually stuck out to me in, uh, most in that scene was some some of Discovery's bad habits, uh, script wise and directorial wise, stuck out in that one. There's a in a very short amount of time you have them do an Arrested mm. Development joke where she goes her. When she's going to bring Tilly, Saru's going to bring Tilly, and Nan says oh, sure, her. Sure. And then they do a thing where they cut uh, Tilly saying "What the fuck?" They so they they cut abruptly to show it, and they cut to an, like they mm-hmm. they clearly do it to keep the swear out of it, but it's supposed to be played as a joke, and then it shows the reaction of Saru and everything. It just feels really. Um, those are my least favorite kind of character interactions in this show because it it kind of betrays what you're supposed to be taking seriously of the, the scene in that moment is Saru going all in on what he thinks the right thing to do and Georgiou arguing against it. So when you have mm-hmm. the two ca- side, the two clownish 
Joker characters on the side, it just it feels really tacked on and really distracting from what I think you're supposed to be doing. I'm not. There are other scenes where you could kind of sneak that in, like more low key, less important scenes than the captain talking to the mirror emperor. Um, mm-hmm. I just don't think it fits there, and I, I really don't like those character interactions like that. I find I find the the crew generally too unfunnily jokely, unfunny mm. jokey. It's fine to be jokey. I wish the jokes were funnier when they talk to each other. That's really yeah. that's the criticism. Yeah, it's ironically, it still kind of falls into that Star Trek it has a trouble with humor trap. Yeah, even uh, though it's trying because, desperately to to break that chain and let itself run yeah. free. Because where you've got lower decks, which is just a comedy, so it kind of lets you do whatever you want. This one is still primarily a, a drama in in the tradition of Star Trek, and. Uh, it doesn't. Some of the jokes don't. They 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 haven't figured out how to make it really work yeah. quite yet. We're uh, running out of time, so I'll bring up a few random thoughts. Um, it's very convenient that the only systems that broke on the ship were the ones that are necessary to contact people or to get out of the planet. When uh, Culber's like, "Here, uh, we've crashed. Paul, get into the MRI machine, which is still working." <laughs> you know, yes. <laughs> And then there's they're doing other system things that are working. They can do all the other, like the doors all work. The the ship is totally fine to fly again. It just doesn't have the spark plug or whatever it needs to get off the ground. So it's it's completely undamaged and it'll just pick up. The the one one line that's that was weird to me was when the uh when the bad guy was talking to them and threatening them and the crew and he says uh um, what does he say? He says like, and then you, and all eighty-three members of Discovery crew, and then Tilly's like, no, she says all seventy-two members of Discovery crew, and that uh, these aren't the right numbers. Yep. Obviously, I think I'm my, I'm using Enterprise numbers. I think I think it's and seventy-seven, goes, we have eighty-three, or something like that. Yeah, we have we have eighty-three crew members, and then he's like, okay, fine, eighty-three. It's like <laughs> I I thought I thought the implication, I thought the point of that line was supposed to be like. Yeah, a bunch of them died or something not just that he doesn't have the correct stats i think she's, for the crews on discovery i think he i think the the follow-up to that is she says there's 82 we count injured people as people so i think he's just saying that there's oh. only 77 he has to fight against but at the same time only five people got seriously hurt in the crash of discovery is the other yeah. funny thing about that number it's a it's kind of a pointless exercise and a, a pointless disagreement between the two of them really yeah, it's a <laughs> I just I kind of felt his reaction in myself when she said that he's like okay fine whatever it's 83 I that's you count the count the hurt people You like I don't the care. thing the thing about birds is that they all fly and someone goes ah ostrich can't fly <laughs> so I guess yeah, you're exactly. wrong motherfucker Fine fine yeah. <laughs> ostriches and penguins <laughs> They fly through the sea Yeah it's um it, it was they do discovery likes to have sort of um pointless conversations like that it's 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 a trope of the show i think that the jokes in that captain rune scene are the same thing i think that the conversation here where tilly's debating the number of people who are on the ship um i would have i severely underestimated the number of people on the ship i think that maybe they evacuated them before they went back in time and they sent as few people as they needed to. I think so. Yeah. I think something like that was going on. Yeah. Um, I don't think I have much else about this one. I did like it just because I thought that it was an episode that supported what 
I think the show actually has something to say about, which is that if you're going to resurrect mm. the Federation, I think that there's a... This episode answered a lot of the concerns that I had from the, the first episode of the season, which is like, why is this a good thing? What's going on? Like, does anyone have any counter-argument to this? Is it just we're going to go on Burnham's faith that this is the right thing to do? Uh, here, mm-hmm. they add a little bit of nuance to the whole arguments about whether or not you bring back the Federation, what the upside of that is and stuff. And while I'd say that it's it still clings to the... Um, optimism of star trek i feel it does it in a more interesting way than just being like we will survive this if we can raise the flag and find all the ships and stuff like that there's a a sense of hope in the colonists of like there's a better way to live and i would rather have the federation back than not have them back and that makes sense to me and they had another um like federation fanboy in this one a couple of them that guy who gets yeah that guy who gets blasted is like uh, I think there's a point where the bartender's like, he was always talking about the Federation. And yeah, how he always wanted to be part of it or something like that. He's the little boy so with still, the broom at the end of uh, Last Jedi. He yes, like force yeah. pulls the broom towards himself. Yeah. Um, what do you think of their uh, alien makeup? Very, again, very jaw heavy. Mm-hmm. A, lot of, a lot of big square jaws this season. <laughs> I liked it. I thought it was fine. It wasn't. Um, it was low key, but it was uh, interesting. Saru's makeup is really mm. excellent when they shoot outside oh, so and everything. It's, yeah. it, it looks really good. Uh, everyone else's was fine, I think. Uh, and and I, I guess before we go, D, um, Detmer, fairly interested in mm-hmm. what's happened to Detmer. Uh, yeah. They set it up as you think that her implant has malfunctioned, but it seems to be something more catastrophic than that although they haven't really hinted yeah. at what could go wrong with it so I don't, I don't know yeah it seems like it's ptsd or something yeah but, you know who knows or time jump related uh, oh, the, or something like she i could see maybe. her having some effect yeah. from going through time in a way that the others don't i don't, I don't really know what it is but sure we'll maybe see. her implant she starts seeing visions of ghosts past yeah events. <laughs> now in the future now in the future the past has occurred um I also I loved the planet. I thought the planet was awesome. Mm-hmm. The visuals were really really cool. Yeah, with uh, from the approach where it had that big like chunk busted out of it to when they were on the ground and they had the floating pieces, kind of like you know Pandora and Avatar. Yep. Um, yeah, I just thought the design top notch as always. Yep. Saloon doors also are excellent. Yep. <laughs> I did notice this time. Generally on this show, I don't notice it as much as other people do. But oh boy, they were shaking the camera something fierce. Oh, and really? It was like quiet. They it was just in like scenes where Saru and and George Al were talking to each other. But it's just like you know, <laughs> shaking shaking around <laughs> where they're talking about Starfleet regulation or some shit. Yeah. Like, you guys, and then they would cut to a shot of the ship where it would just be this like nice languid, you know, slowly moving pan across this the the this landscape, and then back to the to the uh the bar where they're just you know shaking it around like it's you know on a tumbler or something yeah. i i thought i noticed a maturity in the camera work in some ways where the um the stuff on the ship there's a sequ- a nice sequence where the camera passes between characters fairly seamlessly like a character walks mm-hmm. one way and another character walks the other way against it and the camera moves to follow that new character it felt kind of fluid and um like the camera actually existed in a world and it wasn't just shot with like, this is the shot of this guy, this is the shot of this guy and we'll cut between them. It felt um, fluid right. and interesting and it it, it highlights the uh, the sort of chaos of discovery at the same time because as you're doing the steam everywhere and people are pulling wires out of the walls or whatever they're doing and uh, I, th- I thought it looked good. This is the, the same writers and director as the pilot, or not the pilot, but mm. the 
first episode of the season too. But I, mm-hmm. I thought this was a much better episode than the first, the first episode. I agree. Yeah, I like this one a lot more. That's it. Thank you guys for listening. Patrons, thank you for supporting the show. You can become a patron at patreon.com slash the Penske file if you're so inclined. It's much appreciated. And uh, I don't know what the next episode of this is. So I guess I should thank the uh, the captains here. Also gets a special shout out. So a special thank you goes to Christian Pouch, Dark Latif, Chris Tinsley, Mike Burnett, Sean Cardinal Doomsday, Joint Mango, Matt Cutler, Ben Douglas, Cal Barrett, Samuel Custer, Nick Sergey, Bradley Killens, Matt Ross, Rune Benler, Nathan Elliott, Eric Johnson, Andrew Cholog, Ben Grim Santo, Poindexter G, Dwayne Hackett, Paul Roscoe, Jordan Cooper, Derek Zajac, Kevin Race, Walter Teen Hero, Stephen Minton, Nick the Rat, Dot Mosk, HH28, Matt Curry Six, Jig One Two Three, Mike Harris, Jake Keys Gamer, Patrick Seba, Captain Brazen, Kevin Lowry, Eric Santuan, Corey Martin, William Schleser, Timothy Cooley, and Zane Major. Thank you very much. Thank you for supporting the show. We'll be back with the next uh, Discovery episode, which I don't think I have the title for. People of Earth is what it's called, actually. So, um, This is where they go back to the 1940s Nevada, right? And they, right. Saru gets <laughs> caught by the feds. I don't know if you... I'll go, I don't know if you saw my... I tweeted and put it on the Discord. I started watching this episode on uh, the app. And the uh, the the previously on Discovery thing comes in at the end mm. and it recaps what happened. And as I was watching it, there was a voice narration over the top going, Giorgio does fights uh, with... Uh, D- Giorgio throws Leland into the destructive cell room and destroys him. And I'm like, what the hell? I was like, D- does Discovery really think so little of people that they can't figure out what's going on? Apparently it was a um, a setting in Honestly, my phone. I wouldn't blame them. Yeah, I, I, oh, really? well, that, that's why I tweeted it angrily. It's like, what what a marker of Discovery's uh, sort of writing style that they have to voiceover narrate on top of their previously on sure, montage sure. to make sure that people understand it. But it was just a um, audio, they called it like audio descriptions of scenes or something. I don't know what it's for because if you're able to see, you can see what's going on. And if you can't hear, you can't hear them say it anyway. So it's not like subtitles. It's an audio... Well. I guess if you like listening to the show and you can't see, but then you're, you, but then you would just be able to listen to the show, right? You'd be able to watch the action sequence where the characters are talking to each other. But like, if you were, if you were, if you were blind and you were sitting down to watch an episode of Discovery, and the first thing you got was like a previously on clip package. I don't know if you'd be able to parse that out. Sure. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's for that. I, I didn't check to see if it's on the episode itself. Well, but I, I felt like it was just getting in the way because George Jow would walk in and go like, Leland, I'm going to destroy you. And the voiceover goes, George Jow is going to destroy Leland. And it's like, I don't, I don't understand why, <laughs> why they felt the need to make this so redundant. But sure. I might be missing. Well, I mean... I think the point is that it's a function you can shut off and you don't have to worry it about is. it. It is. I was, I was, I was, <laughs> I, I mean, if, if I had kept it on through the episode, I probably would have had hard, uh, worse things to say about this. But like, Clay, I can't believe yeah. the narration they on the top. a voiceover this season. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like the, uh, um, on the Rotten Horror Show when we did The Thing, I came across uh, on the television version of The Thing, there's a voiceover that explains who all the characters are. Mm. So, like, when McCready shows up, a voiceover will say, McCready, helicopter pilot. He spent four years in the Navy, and he just couldn't hack it. So now he's here in, in, in Antarctica just trying to finish the next bottle of booze yeah. or something yep. like that. It's like, okay, right. I guess this is for people who are watching it while they're folding laundry. <laughs> Which I can understand and appreciate. All right, we got to run, guys. Thank you very much. You can check out all the other shows at thepenskefile.com. Check out the podcast, thepenskepodcast.com, and subscribe on the YouTube channel. We'll be back with People of Earth next week. See ya.